It's been an encouragement to me to worship with you all already this morning. I'm excited to be here. It's the best emotion that, that describes my state of mind this morning. I really am excited to be here and also excited to turn to the Word of God and look and see what it has to reveal to us this morning. And I do ask an interest in your prayers that the Spirit of God would be with us today. Um, I'd like us to begin in Philippians, the third chapter. I feel burdened by the prayer requests that we've heard this morning. Also have a dear friend who recently lost a parent and is, is absolutely crushed by that. And that weighs heavily on my mind this morning. You know, but we celebrate both sides of human history. You know, because we understand that on the one hand, there's something fundamentally wrong with the world and with each of ourselves. And I'm going to go ahead and say that is a freeing realization Amen. to have. Because there are many things wrong in this world, and we're not responsible or have the ability to fix all of them. And at the same time, we celebrate another side of human history, which is the reality that Christ has saved his children by his mercy and grace, completely, fully, and irrevocably. Um, And there will come a time, I hope it's very soon, I hope it's very, very soon, um, that he's going to fix all of these problems that we don't have control over. And I'm thankful to celebrate that this morning. Now, Paul is was writing his letter to the Philippian church. And in the early portions of chapter 3, he's really just described his pedigree to the Philippian church. And he's told them about all the things that he's accomplished, all the things that he could say about himself. He describes himself as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. That is to say, it's already an honor for you know a Hebrew, an Israelite, to be in this degree of of exalted position with God. But Paul says, I'm not just a Hebrew. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And so he's built to a conclusion in verse 7, where he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. This is verse 9 of Philippians 3. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now listen carefully. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Paul understood that there is a spiritual benchmark which he was pursuing in his life. It's not one that he would ever reach. It's not one that he could fully understand. But it was a spiritual goal, a spiritual benchmark that he was bent on pursuing throughout the course of his life. You know, we understand this concept of a goal, of a benchmark. You know, it's something that we choose to do. The object 
of one's aims or ambitions. You know, I don't know what that is for you all this morning. You know, perhaps you're pursuing a career. Perhaps you're pursuing a promotion. Perhaps you're looking for a specific grade in a class if you're still a student. Those are all goals and ambitions. And what happens to our lives when we pursue those goals? Well, our actions order themselves around the things that we're pursuing. If I want a promotion, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to spend a bit more time in the office. I'm going to pay more attention to the work that I'm accomplishing. Maybe I spend by my supervisor's office a bit more on a daily basis. Because I'm interested, I'm pursuing this promotion. And Paul, he's doing the same thing. But there's something special about this benchmark, this goal that he's pursuing. Because it's the highest goal that a Christian can pursue. It's the highest goal that a Christian disciple can pursue. It's not about a career. It's not about a grade. It's not about uh, money. It's not about wealth. Paul's saying, I am pressing after the high mark of the calling of Jesus Christ. You know, and as we understand, what happens when we pursue a goal? Well, our life orders itself around that objective. Our life arranges itself. We orient towards that particular object of our attention. And Paul, he's doing the same thing here in this chapter this morning. He has all of these accreditations. He has this incredible resume, if we want to think about it that way. This man's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. But yet he says, my ultimate calling, my primary focus is not my career as a scholar. It's not my religious pursuits. It's not my pedigree as a Hebrew. It's the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. You know, there's a commercial that's, that's circulating the internet right now for an online therapy platform called, called BetterHelp. I'm not, I'm not paid to say this. I'm not promoting BetterHelp, by the way. <laughs> but the, the commercial opens on this very sad, depressed young man. You, know, you can tell from his, body post, his bodily posture, he's sad, he's depressed. And his therapist asks him, um, what do you want? What do you want? And the man, he says, well, I want a job that I don't hate. You know, and this is something that, that even modern day therapists understand. When you have someone that's troubled, that comes to you with, with concerns and depression and fears, the first thing that you have to determine is what do they want? I'm here to tell you today that every child of God, whether they realize it or not, wants to be engaged in the meaningful pursuit of the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Their soul is starved for that. And there are many sad children of God in this world that would be much happier and much more joyful if they oriented themselves toward this mark, this benchmark, this calling that we're speaking of this morning. You know, but the problem is we often make our goals a lot of different things. You know, I hope we all understand this morning that the job which we don't hate, that the young man in the commercial that we're speaking of is talking about, that's not our ultimate priority. 
That's crucially important for our well-being in this world, perhaps. But this is Paul's ultimate goal. He says, I may speak multiple different languages from what we understand. Paul ended up writing the vast majority of the New Testament. He ended up being instrumental in the founding of the early church. Almost indisputably, one of the greatest tools of God that's ever walked the face of this earth. And yet, he says, I am pressing toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. The problem is for us, our benchmarks become many different things here in this life. We're we're fighting this constantly. Because with the entirety of our being, we're to be pursuing this high calling. Yet our benchmarks become things like the opinions of other people. I like this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Turn with me and we'll read it this morning to make sure that we understand what it has to say to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. The Corinthian church is in the same situation that many of us commonly find ourselves in. We look around and we see the things that others pursue and we question our devotion to the pursuit of the high calling of the mark of Jesus Christ. But Paul, he's looking at that situation. He's saying, Corinthian church, especially in this particular environment, don't look around at those that are pursuing all of these other things. Don't compare yourselves among yourselves. The benchmark of how we ought to spend our time is not the way that other people spend their time. You know, because remember, we're, we're going back to the primary goal of Paul's, was, which was to pursue the high mark of this calling that he's speaking of. You know, this is a primary component, should be a primary component of our identity You know, there are parts of our identity, there are parts of our personhood that are inflexible and unchangeable. You know, that's not a far-right political claim. That's a spiritual reality, that there are parts of our identity which are unchanging. And part of our identity as children of God ought to be pursuing this mark, this calling that Paul's speaking of. It's something that remains uh, unflexible and unchanging. You know, the other thing that often influences our perception of this benchmark is our pride. Because Paul of what, part of what Paul's espousing in Philippians, the third chapter, is a lifestyle. We're going to get to that in a moment. You know, what is the benchmark of Christ that he's speaking of? What is the calling of Christ that he's speaking of? But our pride causes us to often look at the Word of God and not see it as this inflexible standard under which all other things are inferior or subordinate to. You know, we're told that in the early days of Israel, you know, specifically in the book of Judges, that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You know, that's a terrifying thing to happen to a nation. A terrifying thing to happen to a country. Because, you know, it sounds great. It sounds great to say, oh, we can determine our identity on our own. We are able to say what is important in life and what is not. We are able to determine what is valuable and what is not. 
But we see when we decide that that's a case, that that's the case, we observe all kinds of confusion. Because no one really knows what's valuable anymore. No one really knows what's important anymore. No one really knows what our ultimate priorities ought to be. You know, Paul, he's clearing up any sort of confusion that we might have in that regard. He's saying, everything in my life is unimportant compared to the calling of God. Amen. You know, and he's not necessarily, strictly, referring to his calling to preach. Don't believe he is in that circumstance. He's referring to a calling which every child of God will experience sometime between their conception and death. He's referring to this sovereign calling of God that saves his children in time, in this very moment, in this imminent moment, as God saves his children in the new birth. Paul's referring to that, something that we all experience. And he's saying, I don't care what you've accomplished. I don't care what we've all done with our lives. I don't care what we want to do with the rest of our lives. All of that's subordinate to the calling of Christ. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 12 to learn a bit more about what this calling, this benchmark, this mark, this goal is. You all are familiar with these, these wonderful two verses. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul is redescribing part of this calling that he's also describing to us in Philippians chapter 3. He's describing what we're fixated upon. And his, his message is very simple. We are to be fixated upon Christ. He says, we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. I believe we are witnessed by God. We are witnessed by saints that have passed on and go to be with him for all eternity. We are witnessed by the people here today. I'm witnessed by you all. I'm witnessed by those that I'm closest to. I'm here in this life. And seeing that we're compassed about with this great cloud of witnesses, we have to lay aside every weight and the sin which easily besets us. From all we understand of Paul, part of that sin that so easily beset him was his pedigree as a Hebrew, was his education, his resume. That was something that Paul could have taken secular pride in, all of these things that he had accomplished. And yet he's telling us, I have to take that resume, I have to take that education, I have to take those accomplishments and set them to the side as I pursue Jesus Christ. And as we do that, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I assure you today, that race that's set before us is simply the time that we have here on this earth. You know, and that race that we have before us is not as long as we often think that it is. It's not as long as we often think that it is. You know, and I'm not as old as some of you all, but I've discovered that as I have grown a bit older, time simply passes by more quickly. 
And when I sit down and I talk to those that have lived more life than I have, they tell me time only accelerates faster. Time doesn't pass by any more slowly. It continues to pass by quicker and quicker. And that is what Jesus was trying to indicate to his disciples when he told them the kingdom of God is at hand. He's trying to say there's no time like the present to begin laboring diligently in the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because our race passes by very, very quickly. And I assure you today, it passes by more quickly the more diligently that we run it. The more diligently that we run this race that is our time here on this earth, the swifter it passes by. And as we run that, we're looking unto Jesus. Amen. You know, I went on a, a cross-country run with some older gentlemen who are far more accomplished athletes than myself, to put it lightly. Uh, and we went running in the foothills of Birmingham, Alabama, near Oak Mountain. And so when we started the run, there's a flat stretch of about three miles before we began to climb into these hills, which was the worst part of the run, by the way. So we climbed up, we climbed up to the top of this mountain, we ran up to the top of the mountain, and then we turned around and we began to run down. And by this time, you all, it's, it's difficult to describe how horrible I was feeling by about the last three miles of this run. And we came right to the bottom of the mountain, and off about three miles in the distance, I could see where I had parked my car. And I fixated on my car because at this point my lungs were burning, my legs were tired. I was in pretty much the back of the pack other than the two people who were, who were running with me because they were, they're just kind, sympathetic people. <laughs> and I looked and I fixated on that object, my car in the distance, the end of the run. And I just had to keep going. That was my goal my aim, the object of my ambitions and desires. The thing that I longed for most at that time. And Paul, he's saying, Paul's saying, I don't want you to fixate on your car when you're running the spiritual race. I don't want you to fixate on, on the next pay raise. I don't want you to fixate on the next stage of life. I want you to be fully fixated and concentrated upon Jesus Christ. And not just Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, who endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of God. That is to say, He was brought into a world in which there was a fundamental problem. He understood that His purpose was to fulfill the Father's will. It wasn't a pleasant thing for Him to do. It wasn't painless. It wasn't easy for his flesh, yet he pursued it anyway. And that's the message that Paul's trying to convey. Understand the goal at hand. Understand what the aim and object of your desire should be. And pursue it regardless of pain or difficulty. It's so applicable to the way that we just operate and, and think as human beings. You know, again, back to the example of our young man in therapy, we have to have goals. We have to have purpose. We have to have meaning. And I assure you that for the born-again child of God, 
Paul is telling us what our purpose should be. Do you wonder what your purpose is here in this life? Well, here it is right here. We're to fixate upon Christ and upon his calling and pursue it to the full extent of our being, regardless of difficulty. Let's go back to the book of Philippians. So we begin to draw our thoughts to a close. I don't want to leave these, these reflections without a degree of just a practical reflection as well. Because, you know, we're talking about goals. We're talking about purpose. Again, not to be too trite. I assure you, pursuing the purpose of the calling of Christ is not a trite or meaningless task. It's not something that's necessarily easy. It's not something that we can do flippantly. And here's part of what we have to do. I love this passage in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Here's a crucial component. A crucial component of our calling and the mark of the calling of Jesus Christ. Our primary concern is not our own things, but the things of other people. Primary concern is not our own things, but the concerns and things of other people. I assure you today, if we take this and apply it to each situation that we encounter on a daily basis, it's going to reshape the way that we live. And because remember, that is the purpose of the goals and purpose and the aims that we create for ourselves. It's to self-correct. It's to improve. And you know what? The reason that goals work, the reason that we sit down with therapists to this day and they ask us things Like, what do we want? Because those concepts are grounded in a spiritual reality. The problem is that for many people, again, they don't understand that their soul is starved for the meaning and purpose that is a consequence of pursuing the calling of Jesus Christ. And verse 4 tells us about a component of that calling, to not look on our own things, but on the things of others. In verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. The reason that we look to Christ as we run the race, again, that is our time spent here on this earth, is because he established benchmarks, aims of behavior while he was here on this earth. He didn't just tell us what we had to do. He didn't sit on his throne in all perfection and look down on earth and say, well, disciples, I want you to tend to the things of others, not the things of yourselves. I want you to develop a mentality of service. I want you to be humble. I want you to be meek. No, he came down to earth and he lived those principles. And so a crucial part of our calling as Christ is to examine the scriptures. We see how Christ behaved and then we emulate those those behaviors. Again, it's it's simple to say in that moment it's very hard to do because here's what we have to do. We actually have to go within the word of God and read. We actually have to go within the Word of God and read. We have to go talk to those. This is very true for myself. People that have more experience, more wisdom, more insight, and ask them, how would Christ behave in this scenario? How would Christ behave in this scenario? And what have, what have we reflected on this morning?
Well, here's the first thing that we really discovered was life oftentimes seems a bit purposeless. I assure you today, most, most of the secular offerings of the world are without purpose and without meaning. Do you want to know why the world seems more hopeless? And this is true in many, in many senses. Again, we're closing. If you want to know why the, I think the world's more hopeless now than it has ever been, we can talk about it. Why do people struggle with the things that they do now in ways that we haven't seen throughout history? It's because this purpose, this calling, is not a primary part of our culture today. When men began to discover that we can improve our situations with science and reason, God began, began to come less relevant. Okay, that's, this is just the truth of history, again, would absolutely, you guys have no idea. I would love to talk to you about this later. Uh, God as a concept became essentially useless. What happened is in that moment, we lost our aim. We lost our purpose. And we're trying to rediscover it many days. And I assure you, Paul's given, given it to us here. We understand what our goal is. We orient ourselves towards that. And we pursue the patterns, behaviors, and perfection of Christ as the high calling that it is.